0: The Old Testament reading is Psalm 51, and this is the inerrant and infallible word of God. To the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And now let's turn to Romans chapter 7 for our New Testament reading. And this is our sermon text. Romans 7 verses 13 through 25. Romans seven, thirteen through 25. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, producing death in me through that which is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. How would you describe your life as a Christian? Uh, Would you describe... Uh, your walk with Christ as one of uh, continual victory over sin. Uh, all day and every day, uh, perfectly, uh, you love uh, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And you love every day, perfectly, uh, your neighbor as yourself. Uh, you never entertain a sinful thought. You never uh, say or do anything less than is whole, than what is holy and Christ-like. Or would you describe your Christian life in a quite different way? Would you say that you struggle with uh, temptation and sin uh, on a daily basis? Uh, That sometimes you succumb to temptation. And you sin even though you don't want to sin and you hate this sin. And yet, nevertheless, you find yourself committing uh, those sins. And you find yourself thinking and saying and doing things that are the very opposite of what you want to say and think and do. Well, if you would describe your Christian life in the first way, that is uh, an unending uh, victory over sin, uh, then either you are the very first Christian in the history of the church to achieve uh, sinless perfection, and I guess congratulations are in order, or you are seriously self-deceived. And of course, according to the scriptures, uh, it's the latter. First uh, 1 John 1:8. 1, if we say we have no sin, uh, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if you would describe your life as a Christian, your walk with the Lord in the second way, that is, as an ongoing struggle with uh, temptation and the sin that is within you, uh, then let me welcome you to the club. Uh, welcome to the church. Um, Every Christian is engaged daily in a spiritual conflict against uh, the power of sin that indwells in us. And we're not always victorious in that conflict. Um, As we know all too painfully well, uh, we sin, even though uh, we don't want to sin. And as those who go through this internal struggle against the power of sin, uh, you and I uh, happen to be in very good company. Uh, The one Christian who was perhaps uh, the most sanctified, the most Christ-like, the most uh, devoted and faithful Christian who ever lived, he himself struggled with sin. Of course, that was the Apostle Paul. And in our passage today, Paul describes this spiritual conflict that he experienced as a Christian. And what he says here, this description he gives us of this struggle that that he endured, as a believer in Christ, this is something that resonates with every true uh, believer who has sought to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, last week, just to, just to put uh, the passage that we'll, we'll discuss or that we'll look at uh, in context, uh, last week we looked at uh, the first uh, part of this chapter, or at least verses 7 through 12. And if you remember, if you were, if you were here uh, this past Sunday, in verses 7 through 12, um, uh, Paul is also there uh, giving us his spiritual autobiography. And in those verses, he describes himself as he was in the time leading up to his conversion to Christ. So in verses 7 through 12, Paul speaks of himself as he was as an unbeliever. And at some point, uh, uh, Paul came to what must have been uh, the horrifying for him, the, the horrifying uh, realization that he... Uh, Paul was full of sin. Uh, Paul, the the blameless Jew, the the zealous Pharisee, uh, he came to discover that, in fact, at heart, uh, he was not all that he appeared to be. He was an abject sinner. And he he testifies how, how the law, when it was impressed upon his heart, how that law of God came home to him with force. He felt within him, he saw within him the sin in his heart rising up Uh, to do the very opposite of what that law requires. Specifically, uh, he refers to the the law prohibiting covetousness. Uh, Sin uh, produced all manner of covetousness in his heart uh, in response to the law of God. And Paul relates that experience to us in verses 7 through 12 in order to affirm the intrinsic, the basic goodness of the law of God and also to affirm the intrinsic uh, sinfulness and evil of sin. And so in verse 13, as a kind of conclusion, to everything he says in verses three, uh, 7 through 12, uh, the apostle says this, he says, Did that which is good then bring death to, be, uh, to me by no means? It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. And so now, having said that, Uh, Beginning with verse 14, Paul uh, continues to speak about his experience, his spiritual autobiography, uh, but he transitions. He transitions from speaking of his experience as one who did not know the Lord, as an unbeliever, uh, to one who was now a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, to one who has been regenerated by the Spirit of God, who has been saved uh, by faith in Christ. And so he makes the transition in verse 14 from the unbelieving Paul to the believing Paul. And the first thing that Paul says in verse 14, now speaking of himself as a Christian, he again affirms the basic goodness of the law of God. He says in verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual. Uh, By spiritual here, Paul means it is of the Spirit. That is to say, the law of God uh, is of God. Uh, Its very character and its nature is divine. So it is good, it is holy. But Paul goes on to say in verse 14, in contrast to the law of God that is holy, he says in verse 14, but I am am of the flesh, sold under sin. Uh, The flesh here refers to our natural sinful nature. And so we can rephrase what Paul says here in verse 14 in this way. uh, The law of God is spiritual and holy, but I am sinful. I am fleshly. I am sinful. Paul is saying, despite the fact that I've been redeemed by Christ, despite the fact that I am a new creature in Christ, nevertheless, there is still within me, in my heart, this natural propensity to sin against God and against his holy law. And this opposition that Paul uh, brings up then in verse 14 between uh, the righteousness of the law of God and the unrighteousness of the sin nature that still uh, uh, is present in Paul's hearts, this opposition creates what Paul goes on to describe as a a profoundly intense spiritual conflict within himself uh, between uh, his desire to keep God's law but the sin within him that leads him to do the very opposite. And so Paul, as a Christian, tells us about this struggle within him that he experiences because of the power of sin. And Paul, he's not just describing his own experience uh, in these verses, but he is speaking uh, for you and me as well. Uh, He is speaking for all Christians. His struggle against sin is the struggle that all of us experience. We all fight against the power of sin within us. But Paul also points us to the hope that he had that we also have as believers in Christ. And that is that uh, we will gain the ultimate victory over sin and death forever through Jesus Christ. And so um, as we begin to approach this passage this morning, then... Uh, we'll have two main points. The first one is this, that uh, the struggle that you experience as a Christian, that's the first point, the struggle that you and I experience as Christians. And the second point is the promise of victory uh, that is yours as a Christian. So first of all, the struggle that you experience as a Christian. Now, before we jump into this first point, uh, you may be aware uh, that our passage this morning is One of the most difficult, if not the most difficult passages uh, in all of Romans uh, to understand and to interpret. Um, Apparently, even uh, the theological giant Augustine at some point uh, changed his mind and his understanding of uh, this very passage that we're looking at. And the biggest difficulty with this passage is determining whether Paul is speaking of himself as a believer in Jesus Christ or whether... He is speaking of himself as an unbeliever, as someone who has not yet been born again by the grace of God. Um, As you can already tell from what I've already said, uh, you know that I believe, I am convinced, that the Apostle Paul is speaking of himself in these verses, verses 14 through 25, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the best arguments for The way in which Paul brings this passage to a conclusion. So uh, we're going to jump ahead a little bit. We'll look more closely at verses 24 and 25 uh, later. But for now, I want you to see um, how Paul brings this passage to an end. So in verse 24, he says, Wretched man that I am. He he cries this out out of the throes of this spiritual uh, agony because of this conflict. Wretched man that I am. And then he asks this rhetorical question. Who will deliver me from the body of death? or from this body of death? And of course, Paul knows the answer to his question, and he cries out the answer, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But then notice, right after that, after Paul affirms his hope for deliverance from this spiritual struggle, this struggle against the power of sin, right after Paul affirms his belief that Jesus will deliver him from that, in other words, after Paul the Christian Uh, declares his hope in Christ, then he immediately immediately says in verse 25, So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And so right after Paul uh, proclaims his trust, his hope in the Lord Jesus, he goes right back to speaking of the spiritual struggle, and that shows us that what Paul is saying here is that throughout this passage then, Uh, Paul is speaking as a believer in Christ. Even though he believes in Christ, he has his hope in Christ, nevertheless, he finds this still to be true, that he serves the law of God with his mind, but then with his flesh, he serves the law of sin. And that last passage, or that last verse, in, in verse 25, it serves as a kind of summary of everything that Paul says before that. Uh, again, verse 25, So then I, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And since this is a kind of summary statement of everything that Paul says beforehand, uh, this will structure our thoughts now as we uh, consider uh, this spiritual struggle that you and I are engaged in as Christians. So the first thing to say about the struggle is that as a Christian, with your mind, you serve the law of God. You can say with Paul, Paul, As a believer in Christ, with my mind, I serve the law of God. Again, verse 25. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind. Now, Paul uh, says essentially the same thing in different ways uh, throughout this passage. Uh, Let's listen to the various ways in which Paul says this, that he is aligned with the law of God, that he serves the law of God, or at least he wills to serve that law. In verse 18, he says... For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. In verse 21, Paul says, I want to do right. I want to do right. Uh, Verse 22, he says, for I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. Paul uh, delights in God's law. So on the one side of the struggle then, the Apostle Paul testifies that he is genuinely, sincerely, willing wanting to serve God's law and in fact he says that he does with his mind he does serve the law of God and one thing that's crucial uh, for us to see in this passage is the way in which Paul identifies himself most closely with that part of him that wills that desires that wants to do what is right to serve the Lord and his and his word Uh, He speaks in verse 22 of his inner being. In verse 25, he speaks of his mind. And these are names that Paul uh, gives to what he considers to be his inmost self, his truest self. What we might say, uh, Paul's heart of hearts, his mind, his inner being. Uh, Paul is speaking here of the same thing that he speaks about in another place in 2 Corinthians 4.16. Paul says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And so what Paul is saying is that for him and for every believer in Christ, for every Christian, there is a spiritual core to our being with which we are fundamentally identified. And it's the spiritual core that is the most essential identity of who we are. We are those in our inner being, with our mind, that serve the law of God. Uh, Paul says that he delights in God's law. An unbeliever cannot say, because he does not, delight in the law of God. But every true Christian can say, not that I keep God's law perfectly, but I delight. I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. Inwardly. Uh, We are being renewed day by day, even though externally, bodily, we are wasting away. And so as a Christian, even though like Paul, you struggle with sin and temptation, even though like Paul, you find yourself doing the very thing that you desire not to do. Nevertheless, like Paul, you have the spirit of Christ abiding in you because you have been given a new heart because you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. At the most basic level of who you are as a person, you are one who wills to obey God, who loves righteousness, who desires to be like Christ. Uh, Despite all the times that you have sinned as a believer in Jesus Christ, you can truly say about yourself what the psalmist says, what we read earlier in Psalm 119, lead me in the path of your commandment, for I delight in it. And so as a Christian then, on the one side of the struggle, in your inner being, in the most basic uh, core of who you are as a Christian. With your mind, you serve the law of God. But then uh, there is the other side of the struggle, and that is, as a Christian, at times, despite yourself, you serve the law of sin. One of the reasons why uh, interpreters have uh, Believe that what Paul here is describing is himself as a, as a non-Christian, an unbeliever, is because Paul uses language to describe himself in these verses that he only uses elsewhere to describe the person who is not a Christian, an unregenerate person. And so in verse 14, Paul says this about himself. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, And then in verse 23, he speaks of himself uh, being made captive to the law of sin that dwells in his members. Well, how can a Christian be of the flesh? How can a Christian be sold under sin and captive to the law of sin? Did not Paul himself tell us back in chapter 6 that as believers in Christ we have been set free from sin, that we are now slaves to righteousness. So now, how can Paul in chapter seven be speaking of himself in the very opposite terms, if in fact he is talking about himself as a Christian? Well, I believe that Paul is not speaking in absolute terms when he talks about being of the flesh and sold under sin, but rather he is using the strongest possible language to express uh, the intensity, the depth of the spiritual struggle that he and every other Christian experiences. Paul found the power of sin remaining in him so great that at times, not, not always, not even usually, but at times, Paul succumbed to the power of sin. And at that point, when he succumbed to sin, at that point, virtually, not truly, but virtually, he was as if he was an unbeliever sold under sin, of the flesh, captive. So that's why Paul uses this language to express the, the, uh, the, the profundity, the depth of this struggle. And one thing that Paul says over and over again in this passage is that he finds himself doing that which is contrary to his desire or his will. Uh, verse 15, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Verse 16, now if I do not do what I want, I agree with the law that it is good. Verse 18, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And this is really the heart the struggle that Paul experienced that he's expressing here. that that we resonate with as believers. Uh, We want, we desire, we will uh, to do one thing, that is to please God, to keep his word, to do what is right. But then we do the very opposite of that. We sin against God. We do the thing that we hate. And we experience this tension, this conflict within ourselves and both relatively minor ways and and in much more serious ways. Um, Just for an example of one of the ways in which we find ourselves in this this struggle, a a more minor way. Have you ever caught yourself uh, almost helplessly uh, staring at your phone or computer? You're scrolling through your news feed. You're watching video after video after video or reading headline after headline after headline. And you think to yourself, I shouldn't be doing this. I should be redeeming the time. I want to be redeeming the time. And yet here I am, I'm practically stuck. I can't unglue myself from the screen. Or much more seriously, you know that in certain circumstances, in certain situations, uh, you will uh, respond or you will uh, act out in ways you know are wrong. You will, you will get angry or you will lust or you will uh, gossip. And you tell yourself, the next time I'm in those circumstances, the next time I'm in that situation, I will do better. I will do what is right. I will respond in a Christ-like way. But when that situation comes again, you find yourself, despite yourself, doing the very same thing, sinning in the very same ways. Paul's Paul's words hit really close to home, don't they? I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate. I believe this passage partly has been so difficult uh, for the church, for Christians to understand because our experience as Christians is difficult to understand. Uh, Paul himself testifies to this. He says in verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions. There's a great mystery uh, to the sin that is present in our hearts that exerts such a power over us. You know, in itself, you know, sin is irrational. It is unreasonable. It, we, we can't make sense of it. It is not logical. Oh, In our sin, apart from the grace of God, we are destroying ourselves. It is self-destructive. It makes no sense. Now, as Christians, of course, we have been brought into the light of God's truth and salvation. We rejoice in the light We walk in the light, and nevertheless, we find ourselves inexplicably, inexorably drawn to the darkness of the sin that is within us. And that is that complexity, that struggle that Paul is expressing here, as those who have been redeemed by the grace of God and yet still have that power of sin living within us. And notice how Paul tends to objectify uh, this sin as though it is as almost as if it is another being within him. Not quite, but almost. He says in verse 16, he says in verse 17, Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And so Paul distances himself in this way from the power of sin. He speaks of it as if it is something foreign to him. So he says in verse 20, Now if I do not do what I, or now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. And in verse 23, Paul recognizes another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Now earlier, remember, Paul identified himself, that is, his true self, his inner self, who he most fundamentally was, as one united to Christ by faith, he identified himself as the I, the I who delighted in the law of God, the I who served God's law with his mind. And now we see Paul disassociating himself with the sin that leads him to commit sin. In other words, Paul is saying that as a Christian, though he does sin, nevertheless the sin That sin does not emerge from the most essential core of his being. There's a sense in which it is not Paul, but the sin in Paul that produces sin in the life of Paul. Now, Paul is definitely not saying, these verses are definitely not saying here that for this reason, then, Paul can excuse himself from his sin. You know, if if someone does something wrong, Uh, They'll say something like, it wasn't me, but the devil made me do it. Paul is not saying, it wasn't me, but sin made me do it. In fact, in verse 25, Paul takes full responsibility that he is the one who sins. He says, with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. But what Paul is saying is this. As a Christian, even when I do sin, I don't sin with the full agreement, the full concurrence of my mind and my heart. Sin no longer is at home in me as it once was before I came to know Christ. And in the same way as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, uh, the sin that dwells in you and me is is something like an alien power, a a foreign presence. It's not quite this way, but it's almost as though it has a mind and a will of its own. And so we struggle against it. And we will struggle against sin until the day we die. If we learn anything from this passage, it's that there is no magic formula, there is no silver bullet by which you and I as Christians can suddenly overcome sin and temptation and live free from sin for the rest of our lives. As long as we are in these bodies, no matter how much we grow in grace, no, how, no matter how much we are sanctified by the Spirit's, we will still fight with the power of sin. And at times, we will fail. We will fail. Uh, but praise God, there is forgiveness for the Christian who sins. Uh, 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the hope that you have as a Christian, that the death that Christ died that sacrifice that he made upon the cross when he offered himself to bear uh, the judgment of God for the guilt of your sin and my sin, that that sacrifice is sufficient. And it does take away all the sins that you have committed, not only those before you came to Christ, but even those after you have come to know Christ. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And although in these verses, Paul paints us uh, or he paints for us a very uh, uh, grim, even uh, a stark portrayal of the struggle that we have against sin. uh, There is this encouragement for you. If you hate your sin, if you find yourself fighting against sin, if these words of Paul resonate with you because they describe your own experience If you have found yourself wrestling with what sometimes seems to be the overwhelming power of sin, then know that that very struggle that you're engaged in in is a sign that you are alive. You are alive. You are alive to Christ. You are dead to sin. In Alaska, when the the salmon are returning to their spawning grounds after they live in the ocean for a few years, um, they have an upstream swim the whole way. And so they're struggling. They have to swim upstream in these fast-running rivers to go back to their spawning grounds. Uh, The only fish that are not struggling, the ones who are coasting along downstream, are the fish who are dead. It's the ones who are living, who are alive, who are engaged in that struggle. And in the same way, the Christian life is a struggle, it is a fight. But it is only the spiritually alive who are fighting that good fight. Second point, there is also in this power or in this passage, the promise of ultimate deliverance from the presence and power of sin, the promise of victory that is yours as a Christian. So as Paul describes this agony, uh, the struggle that he is engaged in as a Christian who wants to, to serve God, who, uh, but finds himself doing the very thing he hates Out of the depths of this struggle, he cries out in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And of course the answer is Christ. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But notice what Paul does not say there. Paul does not say, who will deliver me from this body, period. But he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so what Paul longed for was not, Uh, freedom uh, from his body simply as his body. But he longed for freedom from his body as the body in which he sinned, the bodies whose members had become instruments of sin, therefore the body which had become uh, under the curse of death. And so for Paul, as he looks for deliverance, his hope for deliverance is not ultimately It's not ultimately that one day he will die and leave his lifeless body behind and then go to be with Christ in glory, free from sin. Now, to be sure, that is true. And that is a wonderful promise that God gives us, that the moment we die, apart from our bodies, we go to be with Christ in glory. But that was not Paul's ultimate hope. He wanted to be delivered from this body of death. And so his hope was for the resurrection, for the renewal of his body that this body of death would be raised up a glorious body, a righteous body, a body in which there was no more sin. And that is the hope that you and I have as believers, that this body of death in which we live, that one day we will be raised up in a new body, a body that is free forever from sin and the curse of death, a body that will be used only perfectly for the worship, the service, of our God. And this is your hope as a Christian. You struggle now. You struggle against sin. And that struggle is yours. But one day the victory will be yours. In Jesus Christ. And let me leave you with a, a wonderful quote. Uh, from John Newton. That I think really. Um, expresses. Uh, this, um, this struggle. And, and the hope that Paul has. Uh, in this In this passage. So this is from John Newton. He said this, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Let's pray.